We are starting the show, though, with the same topic that we started with yesterday and the advisory that was announced from the federal ministers. As soon as the new variant was identified, our government put in place extensive border measures to, show the, to slow the spread of the new variant into Canada as much as possible. We now know that community transmission is present in Canada and across the globe, and in some circumstances, extremely rapidly. Whether we like it or not, we must therefore adjust to this reality. We must stand together and do everything in our power to protect our healthcare system and our frontline healthcare workers. So that was part of the announcement and part of the justification for the reintroduction of the travel advisory. Let's bring in Morgan Bell. Morgan Bell is the media and public relations person with WestJet, the manager of media and public relations with WestJet. Morgan, thanks so much for being with us. No problem, uh, person or, or media relations person, that's totally fine. <laughs> I realize it didn't sound all, all that official when I, I said person, manager of that department. Um, Morgan, can you talk a bit about how WestJet is responding to the advisory back in place? Yeah, absolutely. I, I just saw you guys played the uh, short clip there from the minister. Um, yesterday, WestJet um, came out in opposition of the reintroduction of a blanket air travel advisory. Uh, we're very concerned as um, we do not want to see pathways for safe and fully vaccinated um, air travel close again. Um, air travel is the most tested consumer activity in Canada right now. Um, there's really no safer place to be. And uh, we are very concerned to see the reintroduction of the blanket advisory. Were you given warning that this was coming back? Um, we definitely had some um, some speculation that it was. When the federal government um, did make changes to border requirements on November 30th, um, we did anticipate that they may um, do some additional uh, measures or some changes to policies. Um, This travel advisory was actually in place throughout the summer um, and into the early fall before it was quietly lifted in October. And and so it it has been reintroduced. Um, Canadians did travel uh, freely and um, to various international destinations all throughout the summer. So um, by all means, uh, Canadians will make the choices that are in the best interest of them. When you talk about the testing that takes place and uh, the fact that to get on an airplane now, you do have to be doubly vaccinated. Do you, are you given, are the airlines given the information or, or do you know when it comes to air travel, uh, if we have transmission or do you know the number of tests that come back positive? Well, that's one of the things we were asking for yesterday was that um, evidently there's been border testing in place for quite some time. Um, they've been ramping it up uh, at the international at international arrivals now um, in uh, to fight off Omicron. And, and we're fully supportive of ramping up uh, measures that are already in place um, to protect the health and safety of Canadians. Um, what we were concerned about and what you do see and what we announced yesterday is that We'd like the data behind um, those border measures because um, the health minister was asked yesterday, um, I believe it was 0.17% for a period in November. And then for the weeks following after that, there was actually 0% um, that was reported from PHAC. And he was was repeatedly asked for that data and he, he was not able to provide a response to reporters.
And one of the things we were talking about on the show yesterday was the fact that there is already community spread in Canada. And the question on whether or not a blanket travel ban or an advisory like this would actually help or would slow that down. Uh, what about the, the, the justification given, though, that because this new variant is so much more transmissible, the thought being that if you do kind of stop travel or greatly reduce travel, that could stop that spread? I think evidently I'm not uh, a scientist by all means and I won't comment on that but um, what we are reading and seeing is uh, I will just quote the WHO I mean they said that uh, blanket travel bans do not prevent the internet intentional spread of of COVID-19 and they can adversely affect lives and livelihoods so uh, by all means we are concerned about Omicron too um, just like we were concerned about Delta Um, We've been commended by the federal government for the safety measures that are in place um, for air travel. I mean, like you had mentioned earlier, uh, you do have to be fully vaccinated to get on an aircraft. You are tested twice uh, for international travel. And we do have really stringent safety and hygiene measures in place. So um, Canadians have different levels of comfort with travel. Some have chosen to continue their travel, but we do see that some people are canceling their travel in a response to Omicron, and that's just that's just personal level of comfort. You mentioned the testing and the ramping up of testing. Do you think that there is a bit of a disconnect there, given that people have been told that anybody coming into Canada on an international flight will will have to have that PCR test at an airport? But it's clearly not happening everywhere. I have a friend who flew in from Mexico on Tuesday into Pearson Airport in Ontario and just whizzed through the airport. She said she didn't even see a testing centre. So is there a bit of a disconnect in that there seems to be this focus on travel itself, but not on other measures that have already been announced, one of them being that mandatory testing at airports? I think there's a lot of confusion, no doubt. Um, We've been saying that uh, for months. Canadians um, are confused and the travel experience has changed dramatically and there's a lot of uncertainty around it. So uh, while I I do believe that um, that the the federal government's doing everything they can to roll out that the arrivals testing as robustly as they can. And, and like I said, we fully support that temporary measure. Um, it is, it does vary uh, from airport to airport or how it's administered. It's not the same because there's different uh, providers that do it. I just came back uh, from international travel two weeks ago and myself uh, was, I was pulled for, um, for mandatory testing. So I, I think there's, there's a lot of uncertainty and there is different experiences and that is driving some, um, some genuine confusion. When you asked for the the information to back up the decision making behind bringing back this travel advisory, did you get any response? No, we uh, no we we have not received uh, that data. I have I have seen it now cited in in a few places that people have asked for it, and it's still not available. And you mentioned that some people are canceling travel. Do you have any idea on, on what that looks like right now as far as is it a lot of people or, or what is happening now that we, we have this advisory back? Yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's too soon to tell. I mean, a lot of people have planned travel over the holidays. Either they're um, potentially going Vancouver to Puerto Vallarta to go to their uh, family vacation home with their family or they are going from you know, from Vancouver to Toronto to visit, uh, planning to visit family and friends. Everybody does have that different level of comfort with it. We we have, over the past few weeks, just with the rise of Omicron, um, seen some changes in people's travel plans. But um, 
this advisory was similar to the one in the summertime, and, and we did see record-breaking number of travel um, since essentially before pre-pandemic numbers. So um, our numbers are very, very different than what they were prior to the pandemic, but we have seen very, very strong demand, and, and we do anticipate that to continue over the holidays. We just want to make sure that um, when, when we are carrying people, they understand the safety measures in place and that they feel confident in traveling because ultimately it is 100% the choice of the Canadian to get on the plane. Right. And, and just one more, when you, when you do, I guess, does it matter what kind of ticket you have or if people are now cancelling? Because that's been another one of the concerns yeah. as, as we are so close to Christmas holiday travel. Are people getting refunds? Yeah, so we've had flexible change cancel in place because of exactly this. The pandemic is highly unpredictable. Um, you know, people do come down with COVID-19 and can't travel because you you, you can't travel uh, positive with COVID-19. And um, essentially, those flexible policies are in place. So if you had a if you had an, a flight only ticket booked uh, to return home for the holidays and you wanted to cancel, you are able to change that um, at no fee. WestJet Vacations is a little bit different. Um, obviously, there's hotel operators and ground transfers that are included in those packages, but um, we are seeing that a lot of people, when they purchase those tickets, um, added the extra travel protection to their tickets that give them that flexibility and freedom. So um, original form of refund payment depended on the ticket and type of fare that you had. Flexibility, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, there, there has been people take that up and there's been a lot of people that have continued their travel. All right. Morgan Bell, thanks so much for making the time for us today. Appreciate it. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. Well, a while ago, we were talking about a BC woman, a Vancouver woman who had been in the news before. She was back in the news, and unfortunately, it was because of an incident in Mexico where she was on vacation and became severely injured after a night out and an attack that took place during that night out. Well, she is back home, thankfully, but still has a lengthy road to recovery. And Jamie Coots is joining me on the line now to talk a little bit more about what what happened. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Well, so many people here have been so worried and seeing the photos of you. And I know your friend Saturn has been keeping people up to date. But how are things going for you right now? Uh, currently, I'm okay. I probably the best that I have been in the last 10 days. I was able to get surgery two days ago and uh, I'm able to recover at home. And so now I'm just at home taking lots of medication and icing lots and staying in bed. And I understand you were able to get home. That was a bit of a challenge as well. How did that unfold? Yeah, thankfully I was able to fly back. Um, So last Thursday I went and I saw a nose surgeon or a specialist, sorry, and he had done some CT scans on me and that was the only reason I found out that my skull was actually cracked open below my eye and I needed emergency surgery within one to two days. And so I booked a flight right away. I got on the first plane that I could. Um, I got a fit to fly letter and when I arrived on the plane, uh, they were all very scared to take me. Um, And even though they probably shouldn't have they did and they flew at a lower altitude um, and uh, the whole flight took quite a bit longer than it should have but they got me home safely and it worked for them I probably wouldn't be in Canada right now 
Wow. So you were on a plane then with, with other people, other passengers, and it sounds like the, the crew and the pilot yeah. really went and, and really did whatever they needed they to. They went above and beyond. It was, it was WestJet, and um, the, the main person who helped me, his name was Andrew, and he was actually, I believe he was either a paramedic or a nurse as well, and so he was able to help me every step along the way. Um, during the flight to make sure that I was safe and I was okay. And then they had paramedics waiting for me on the other side, and then we just went straight to Vancouver General Hospital. Wow. And and uh, you may have clarified this. I may have missed it. So were you able to get, you were able to come home and get your surgery, or did you have surgery in Mexico? Yes. So the reason I was on that emergency flight back was so that I could get um surgery done here in Canada. So two days ago, I went in for surgery and um, they put a plate, two plates below my eye, I believe, and then one through my mouth on the bottom part of my eye socket and then another plate in the structural part of my nose. So I'll still need cosmetic surgery, but hopefully all the structural parts are okay now. I have a um, checkup with my surgeon tomorrow, or he'll be checking up on everything. But hopefully, the the surgical parts of what needs to be done with my face is is complete now. What an absolute, uh, just a nightmare and ordeal. Uh, how are you feeling physically now that you've had that surgery and you're back home? I'm super thankful to be home. Um, of course, I'm on lots of medication, but mainly it's a lot of pressure in my head um, and a lot of headaches, but I'm just trying to rest as much as I can. I Honestly, it feels like this whole thing has only been a couple of days. I just kind of realized today that it's um, been 10 days. It blows my mind. Yeah. Do you remember what happened to you as far as when when you were attacked and, and how that unfolded? So kind of. My last memory was of actually when we told him to, to leave us alone and go away, he, he walked in the other direction. And that was the last that I remember of it before waking up. Um, but I guess he had just walked to the opposite direction to get a little bit of a head start so he could run at me and punch me without um, without me see it coming. And then I was unconscious for, they said, about three to five minutes. And then I remember waking up um, just screaming and holding my face and another woman um, helping me hold my face as well and saying that she was taking me to the hospital. And and for people that didn't hear, we we did run some uh, of the interview with your friend that that talked to Global News about what happened. This happened in uh, a play, uh, just a, a club in Mexico. It sounded like you were just enjoying a, a nice evening out, uh, telling uh, somebody uh, another patron there thanks, but no thanks, not interested. And then then it went. Uh, then this happened. Yeah, pretty much. We we had left the bar and we were headed home and there was a group of girls and we were all headed to the same hotel. So when this man was showing interest in one of our girlfriends and she was denying him, me and Genevieve then stepped in to say, hey, you know what, we're not interested in you finding out where we're all staying. It's time for you to leave. And he didn't like that. <laughs> Do you know if anything has happened as far as charges or any kind of legal action or what's happening with that part of things? 
so I do need to touch base with um, my Canadian consulate who's in Playa uh, right now and get some more information from her. But my latest update is that he is still in jail and that he is being charged. But I, I really don't have too much information yet. Sure. Does that give you some comfort knowing that at least he is going to be charged with this? Yeah, I think that a little bit of a blessing in disguise. Uh, the fact that he's a Canadian man, I am extremely lucky about because now when he comes back to Canada, I will be able to pursue um, charges. Whereas if he was a Mexican man, I don't think anything would have been done. Hmm. When we we first talked to you, it was when you had been the center of a very disturbing incident of a man following you in downtown Vancouver. Uh, We know in that case that there was a man charged and the charges were stayed. Uh, Now this has happened. What does this this do to you as far as when you think about going out, the fact that these two very, very major things have happened to you? Um. Right now, I'm so focused on my recovery <laughs> that I, I couldn't even comprehend leaving the house right now. But I'm sure that will be something that I'll be kind of mentally trying to come over in the near future. Uh, have doctors talked to you then about your prognosis or about the length of your recovery, kind of what's in store for you for the next days, weeks, months? Uh, I think that's going to be in my appointment tomorrow. I have a follow-up appointment with my surgeon tomorrow. Um, I'm thinking structural. I'm hoping that the surgeries that I've had right now will be more on the heel side in about a month. And then I'm going to start working on cosmetic things. I know I'm going to have to have uh, another nose job done. And I know that I I still have that broken tooth that I'm going to have to fix and that I have quite a few um, uh, incision marks on my face, which I'll have to uh, work on healing as well. But um, it's it's going to be quite a few months, I'm thinking. How's your vision? Is it okay? Uh, My one eye is very good. My other eye, especially now because I just got out of surgery, it's it's swollen, but not completely swollen shut. Um, and if I cover my good eye, I can see, but it's almost as if there's like a film over top of it. So um, apparently it's all normal and my vision should go back to, to how it is. But of course, I have um, following appointments. I think it's booked for in five weeks from now with an ophthalmologist um, for him to check up on everything and make sure my eyes healing exactly how it should be. All right. Well, Jamie, I know that you're tired, like you said. At this point, you can't even imagine leaving the house. But I'm so happy you are back and on Canadian soil and on the mend. Uh, I thank wanted you to, so much. Well, thank you. And, and did you want to say anything? I know you mentioned the paramedics and that team that got you home, uh, your friend that set up the GoFundMe page, and so many people have donated and wished you well. Uh, I'll leave it with uh, if you want to say thank you or anything you want to say in response to this, this overwhelming response from people wanting to help you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the first person I have to thank is the Mexican woman. I believe her name was um, Eliza or Elisa. Um, If it weren't for her, you know, picking me up off the ground and and putting me in a taxi and taking me to the hospital, um, 
who knows how much blood I could have lost. And then the whole uh, pilot team and um, stewardess on WestJet, if they hadn't pushed for me to stay on that flight, I probably would still be stuck in Mexico. And all the nurses at the hospital, the nurses at uh, Vancouver General Hospital were beyond amazing. Like they made that ex- whole terrifying experience so much more bearable and I really appreciate them. And um, if it weren't for Saturn, I, you know, the GoFundMe is not, is not something that came to uh, mind originally at all. It was like the last thought in my head. So if it weren't for her, I think I would really be um, extremely stressed out and scared when it comes to bills and all those all these things in the future that I'm going to have to be paying for now. So a huge thanks to her for setting that up. All right. Well, Jamie, thanks for joining us and for giving us this update, because I know there were a lot of people wondering how you were doing. Uh, now we have a bit of a better idea, but thank you so much. Have a speedy recovery and we'll talk to you again. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, once again, we are going to take a look at food prices in this country and not a huge surprise. Many people saying, yeah, they felt the hurt a little bit at the cashier when checking out groceries. Prices have gone up in almost every, if not every category. But what about the year ahead? What about 2022 when it comes to Canadian food prices? Well, who better to ask than Sylvain Charlebois, who is the director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. And Sylvain Charlebois is joining us now. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Not a huge surprise that this report that you've just put out shows that we have seen food inflation and pretty much across the board. Yeah, absolutely. People are noticing uh, but what's concerning is that people feel that they're fa- falling behind. Uh, they uh, Not only that they actually feel that their salaries aren't necessarily uh, increasing as much as food prices, but uh, uh, they also think that our prediction uh, that we published last week, so uh, an inflation rate of up to 7% for 2022, most Canadians actually think it's probably going to be higher. <laughs> I I couldn't believe that one. I mean, they a lot of Canadians actually think it's going to be more than 7%, which is unreal. Like 7% would be very, very high. So there's a lot of pessimism out there for sure. Uh, and when we talk about it affecting most food categories, and we've discussed this before, which ones are stick out to you as being the most affected, becoming more expensive? So for so obviously this year meat uh, really caught our attention uh, and a lot of people were scooped, spooked at the at the meat counter, but for next year for the next twelve months we are expecting dairy to be an issue. Uh, we are expecting dairy prices or dairy product prices to go up by as much as eight percent, in light of what the Canadian Dairy Commission has uh, has recommended and a recommendation of eight point four percent. So. So uh, dairy farmers will actually make more money, but uh, at the end of the day, it means that we'll have to pay more for our yogurt, cheese, fluid milk, everything. And the other, the other sector which will likely be impacted by food inflation is, uh, is food service, so restaurants. So if you go out uh, over the next 12 months, we are expecting um, 
higher menu prices. So uh, bring uh, your thick wallet along with you. And when we, when you look at dairy then as one category, why would we see that recommendation and such a high jump in the prices? Uh, so yeah, no. Essentially, what uh, what we're seeing right now is a mixed bag of of different things. Uh, it's it's a little unpredictable, uh, but I must say that some of the things that are pushing uh, prices higher are uh, supply chain woes, uh, labor, uh, and of course input costs. And those are things that really are uh, disrupting uh, everything, really, from food processing to livestock. And that's going to linger for a while. Uh, we are expecting uh, uh, food prices to to increase by at least uh, June, July, maybe. Uh, so things aren't going to come down. So we're basically at the end of a the first period of a of a hockey game, I guess, if you want to put it that way. When it, when it comes to inflation. Hmm. And are there ways then to find foods that maybe aren't as affected? I mean, does it matter if it's something that's imported, where it's coming from, or if it's something that's grown closer to home? Actually, if if you if you buy something that was imported, it's likely to be more expensive because of the logistical challenges out there. Uh, actually, the meat counter should be friendly to <laughs> people on a tight budget for next year. I mean, it's very rare that you actually have uh, two years in a row where when when meat prices jump. Uh, so if you're if you're a meat lover out there, I think 2022 will be a better year for you. Uh, we're also not expecting uh, a whole lot of changes with fruits, uh, fruit prices as well. And uh, everything in the middle of the grocery store, we are expecting calmer waters uh, there. So there are spots where you... It should be fine, but uh, but the, the the troubling parts of a grocery store will be dairy, vegetables, and and bakery. Bakery is the other one that is going to be impacted. Hmm. At uh, one of the grocery stores that I go to, there's uh, one particular guy who works at the meat counter who likes to announce when it's happy hour at the meat counter and put something on special. <laughs> and now I, I feel like we're, there's going to be a bit of a stampede. There's going to be people really taking advantage of that. What's the, what's the happy hour? They're announcing that there's something on sale, like for an hour or something. Yeah, and then I, I was happened to be there once when he announced it, and I and I asked him that too. And at that particular time, he'd put I think prawn skewers were two for one. He just puts a little special out there for either for an, an hour. hour for one hour. <laughs> yeah. Wow, <laughs> that's great. That's a great idea. I mean, grocers like that understand that there are there's going to be a lot of frugal consumers out there. And so it, it really it, it it points to uh, a, a very strong strategy of visiting more than one places. If you go to more than one grocery store, and you you don't buy as much, but you visit more grocery stores more often, you'll end up saving more. It, even though food prices are going up, it doesn't mean that you have to spend more on food. If you're strategic about it, you can actually spend less. You just need to be a little bit careful. Hmm, and and yeah. have the, the time and the know, the know where to go. Uh, that said, yeah, though, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you need to know those little secrets. Uh, that said, though, this report also shows that Canadian families or the average uh, Canadian family, it is going to be more expensive, almost $1,000 for food, for groceries next year. Yeah, exactly. So we do look at food prices, and we 
if you are to buy the same things in 2022, you are expected to pay $966, uh, unless, of course, you get to happy hours all over the place. If you are, then you'll save. <laughs> it's a goal Happy right hours. there. That's a good one. <laughs> I, I suggested to him if he threw a beer in and made it a happy hour, you might get <laughs> even even more people. But he wasn't. He was was not so keen on that idea. Uh, just wanted to touch on, on one. You mentioned bakery. So, what kind of increases are we looking at as far as consumers and buying bakery items? Up to seven percent. You know, last time when when we saw bakery prices go up was during that price fixing scheme scandal. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so for thirteen years, uh, the price of bread did go up, and nobody really understood why. Uh, in twenty seventeen, Loblaw announced that it was guilty of uh, of uh, of uh, fixing bread prices along with uh, other companies. And so, uh, but with with George Weston Bakeries, but George Weston was sold this year, and so there's there was more consolidation, and so with more consolidation, we are expecting prices prices to go up, less competition, prices do go up. All right. So on that note, uh, looking ahead, yes, uh, looking for those deals, but uh, expecting those prices to be going up, up, and up. Sylvain, always great to chat with you. Thank you so much for doing this today. Take care. Happy holidays. Well, we've been talking a lot about rapid tests lately. We now know that as other provinces, places such as Ontario, Quebec and Alberta put their plans in place to provide those at-home rapid tests for COVID-19, BC is not quite ready yet to offer that same layer of protection. We have been told that most of BC's rapid tests can't be done at home because they require a nurse or a medical professional to administer and that we may start seeing some tests, though, being available in January. Let's bring on Dr. Brian Conway now, Medical Director and Infectious Diseases Specialist at the Vancouver Infectious Disease Centre. Thanks so much for making some time for us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Uh, what are your thoughts on the availability of rapid tests or how important they are in the fight against this virus? So rapid tests are very important if the result is positive. They would allow us to identify individuals who did not know they had covid and institute measures to reduce the risk of ongoing transmission. So they don't go to a party they were supposed to go to, they don't go to an indoor venue, and the like. As long as we understand that a negative test result is not a replacement for a vaccine, and it does not tell you that a whole number of people who have negative tests can get together and party like it was 2018 pre-COVID, we don't do that. So as long as we understand how to use them best, they are an excellent tool to reduce transmission. So what would be the downside, I guess, if people are doing what you just described, but what would be the downside then to at least having these tests out there and and putting that disclaimer with them? So Dr. Henry and others like her expressed the concern that the tests just weren't good enough. As long as we understand that they're not perfect, that we don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, they can have great usefulness in that regard. And she was concerned that some people would say, I'll just rapid test myself every day rather than being vaccinated. Not a good choice. She was concerned that people would use it as definitive proof that they aren't infected. Again, not a good choice. But we're smarter than we were several months ago, and we should revisit the issue urgently. 
All right, because we're even seeing, and I think that's where some frustration is coming from as well, in that we saw the deputy prime minister saying that she was remotely joining some some calls because two people in her staff had tested on a on a rapid test. She hadn't been in contact with them. Uh, we are seeing them used in certain situations, and I think that's where where people are, and we're seeing them in other provinces being uh, distributed to people and thinking that we seem to be falling a bit behind here. And even many workplaces in British Columbia have ac- have the, uh, have gained access to them and are using them, I think, in exactly the best way uh, possible. So in many ways, we're falling behind. Many of us were surprised to hear Dr. Henry, um, you know, express many, many reservations in the recent past. And then on Tuesday, both she and Minister Dick said, oh, they're completely behind them. They'd like to use them, but we can't get them to the middle of January. That was to some extent, the first many have heard of that particular explanation. So I would ask them and anyone else in authority to revisit that and to to really look around hard to see if you could get them out there uh, sooner rather than later. Right, because even in other provinces, it was Nova Scotia where they had volunteers that were breaking the kits apart because that was one of the other issues that was raised here was, oh, but they're, they're large packages, so we, we can't give all, the, all of them to one person. But it seems like packaging should be the least of our worries. Absolutely. I think the two things she raised is that many of the rapid tests, as you said in your introduction, require a healthcare professional around, so they aren't home tests. The ones that are home tests, that we apparently have in our possession are in kits of 25 tests that are difficult to break up. Difficult, but not impossible. And again, that could be a very good short-term solution. While we try to scare up some of these uh, five test kits that can be more easily and more flexibly distributed. All right. So hopefully uh, we'll get an update on that or hopefully we will get access to those before mid-January. I also wanted to ask you, and a few people have been emailing me questions for you about the third dose and what what people should do. And I was talking to somebody yesterday who, who got two doses of Pfizer for a third dose, went for, uh, for the half dose of Moderna. Is there direction on what people should be doing for that third dose? For sure, an mRNA vaccine, Pfizer or Moderna, There's some information that suggests that the Moderna may be a bit more effective and may be a bit more long-lasting. Some concerns have been expressed by NACI, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, on whether the Moderna shot is associated with a bit more heart inflammation, that myocarditis. That really isn't that significant in the the, the, uh, heads of of many. So the third dose is important. mRNA vaccine for sure. Take the one that's there. If you have a choice, Moderna may be a better choice. And is there any difference then with the the Pfizer third dose is, from what I understand, is a full dose, whereas the Moderna is a half dose? Correct. And that has to do with the Moderna dose in the first place being a higher dose for the first two shots. And it may generate more long-lasting and potentially higher immunity. And it only needs to be boosted with a lower dose in that setting. All right. I got another emailed question from a listener saying that as we see the Omicron virus and we're we're trying to figure out exactly what we're dealing with, should we also be focusing more on bringing antivirals into in addition to the vaccinations? So there's two antivirals being considered right now in Canada, the Pfizer product Paxlovid and the Merck product 
molnupiravir. Practice saying them before they're available so you can ask for them. But but these are drugs that do not replace a vaccine. So to say that I'm not going to get vaccinated, I'm going to wait till I get infected and take the pills, not a very good idea. But what they do do in the clinical trials have shown this is if you take them within the first several days of developing symptoms, they reduce very significantly, 50 to 90 percent, the risk of being hospitalized. So there'll be an additional tool in our fight against COVID when they're available. And what are your thoughts, doctor, on the advisory against non-essential travel? And a lot of people are still going to travel, even given that advisory was brought back, uh, saying that there's already community spread here and and they, they will, will travel anyway. What are your thoughts on the advisory? So play to your comfort level. The issue with travel is that you risk encountering larger numbers of people, many of whom obviously you would not have seen or ever, if, if at all. And every time you encounter people, especially indoors, it increases the risk of transmission. And travel is what is fueling uh, the outbreaks we're seeing in the NHL right now, and it would fuel outbreaks in anyone who chooses to travel. So if you do go, make sure that your vaccinations are up to date and make sure that as you travel, you apply the very same public health regulations that are in place here to reduce spread, even if they aren't in place where you are traveling. So behave like a Canadian. Behave as if you were still at home in terms of risk reduction strategies. But really, it, if, if at all you're uncomfortable and you're second-guessing yourself, think about delaying travel. All right. Dr. Conway, thank you so much. I know it's a very busy day for you. So thanks so much for making the time for us. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Look forward to next time.